Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. Tonight's host is Matt Wiltsey. I'm here talking to you folks and uh, Keon is not here. He uh, has the night off. He's out playing some basketball with his his two young boys. So I've got Om Arvin with me and Sid Ramsundar. And we're going to talk about this nil-nil draw against Real Betis. Wasn't the most entertaining game. I, I nearly winced every single time a player went into a full-on sprint. But Ancelotti did go with a full-strength 11. We did see, there. there I guess there were a couple things you could take from this match. There was the doble pasillo. So we had not one, but two pasillos. Each Real Madrid giving Real Betis one and Real Betis giving Real Madrid one. We had final moments, potentially, for Isco and Marcelo. But honestly, not much else. So, um, oh, maybe we'll start with you. Is there anything you're taking away from this match? Not really. Um, this is one of those where, like, beforehand, we're like, if we go over, you know, 45 minutes or an hour, we should stop doing this, and then somehow we find a way. But this one is really just, like, it wasn't even like the last one, right? There was just so many goals, and I guess you could talk about the kind of like chaotic, you know, energy and all the moments that that brought, not that there were, weren't some like chaos in this game. It wasn't a particularly organized game, but it also was kind of flat the entire time. I mean, there are chances there probably should have been goals, but there was just a sense like, yeah, it's, it's over. Let's just get it done with and move on. I do think it's, I don't know, notable that Carlo just probably went with the 11 that we're going to see versus Liverpool. Although, I'm not quite sure what Alba's status is at this moment, but you know, aside from him, this is probably the exact 11 we're going to see versus Liverpool. And I think that was the right call, right? At this point, you don't want to necessarily like overrest them at this stage in the season, right? You want to go into the final match of the season with a good bit of rhythm, especially with the match of that consequence. So, so yeah, do you I, I think guess it's uh, Rodrigo over Valverde. I think so. Yeah. I mean, really? I, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's just a, it's just like a 50, 50 call. Right. I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong. I mean, I would personally start Valverde, but yeah, so just given just, I, I mean, this is just a, just, just a complete hunch. Right. I just think what Carlo was going with here, he wanted to give all of his starters, you know, a, a good bit of run out before the, the champions league final. I mean, I could be completely wrong. Um, but that was, that's just what I thought with the first thing I thought when I saw that lineup and, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be mad if Rodrigo started, but I really think Fede is probably the one to go when we uh, kick off against Liverpool. Yeah, that's kind of where my head's been at as well. And I, I just feel like, you, especially if you're going to go with the Cruz, Casemiro, Maldrich midfield, I just feel like getting Fede in there, getting those extra legs, and then having, it's just been the, the go-to substitution of Rodrigo and Camavinga. Like, we have that on the bench to to change the game, but... Sid, what's your thinking there? Do you think Ancelotti went with the 11 tonight besides, obviously, potentially Alaba? Do you think that's the 11 he's going to start with? Um, yeah, that's a good question because one of the main things I liked this game was how Benzema and Vinicius played most of the game. I thought with eight days to go to the final, it's perfect to give a lot of these guys a full run out. I actually think the one player that that you maybe get away with not playing this game and you could still play in the final is Valverde because he's a really fit player. And I think if anything, he overexerts sometimes in games because he's asked to do so much. So I think if there's one guy that he might still end up benching from this lineup, it's Rodrigo. Um, is that what you would do? And yes, I, I was going to say, I would also play Valverde just because Liverpool's midfield, um, for sure with Thiago and Fabinho, it's a little different. It's not as physical, but 
they still cover spaces really well. And I would prefer to have Valverde just for that combative presence. And I think Rodrigo Camavinga is a great duo to bring off the bench. Yeah. And I mean, and you mentioned there um, the Benzema Vinicius duo. I do think at least Vinicius looks like a live wire today. And even if his final product wasn't there, uh, just his ability to his, his burst and his explosion. I feel like he's gotten a second wind in this um, final part, final stage of the season. And that, if anything, that's something we're, we're definitely going to rely upon in the final. And I feel like even that one moment he had in this game where he literally just stopped, he, he runs to the byline, stops, Sabali's like momentum kept him going. Yet Vinicius was able to shift his body weight in the other direction. It was, I mean, he, I feel like he's the only one on the team that could pull something off like that, going at that type of velocity and still managing to keep, keep your body going in the opposite direction. Once you actually stop, it was, it was something only Vinicius could do, but I think from this game, one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about, and then maybe we can go like into bigger picture stuff and maybe talk a little bit about Marcelo. Um, I wanted to talk about Eder Militao. I felt like, Obviously, there's been a lot of conversation around him lately. He hasn't been performing. Um, the The trend and the form has just been it's been off. And today, I thought he was better. Obviously, not not really tested, but there were a few moments where he looked better. He wasn't making rash decisions. Oh, um, kind of. What's your thoughts on Militao heading into the final? Yeah, I mean, I've been really critical of him. I, I don't know if you and I, Matt, have like coincided on the podcast when we've discussed this, but I've been really critical of him this second half of the season, like more and more just kind of like, well, okay, this is this is why he's not at that level yet, which I think probably is coming. But it was it was a little bit of a surprise because he started off so well, you know, and showed us so much. And then it's like he's lost a lot of focus in what he's doing right? A lot of, you know, little errors. And, and this is the first time he's been challenged across an entire season at this level, right? At the Real Madrid level. And it shows like that there are levels to this, right? There is being able to do it as a substitute last season coming in, you know, having to replace key figures in terms of injuries and not having to meet necessarily the same level of expectation. And then when he rises above that, we're like, wow, okay, we, we really have something here. This was a huge moment for him. And then coming in for the first time as a starter, he was consistently able to meet, you know, performance criteria that we set out for him. And then it's kind of fallen off. And I, I think some of that is natural, but also some of that is like, I've, I've talked about this before. It's like, come on, man. Like at, at a certain point, someone would have needed to sit down with him and been like, these types of mistakes that you're making, like, it's not good enough. Like, we rely on you, right? Like, there's no one else, <laughs> really, who can come in as a backup, which I think part of why we're like, all right, we need Rudiger, right? Beyond the fact that, you know, that it was it, it was kind of an opportunistic one, right? Coming on a free, all of that. But it's like, we have no one else, right? And if Militao is going to enter these stretches of form, yeah, Rudiger might not be the best fit, whatever. We need someone else. and whatever has been kind of like the, the cause for this, you know, poor run of form. I, I need to believe that he snaps out of it in the champions league final, because if we don't have elite performances from our two center backs, I don't really think we have a chance in this. Like Liverpool are just that kind of team, 
right? I mean, they're going to create chances regardless. And we're going to need, you know, we're, we're going to need to ride some of our luck, black magic, whatever. But if it comes to the point where Militao is like losing the runners in behind or making big mistakes versus the press, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Luis Diaz, Diogo Jota, Sadio Mane, like on that side, challenging him. We need the return to the first half of the season Militao. And I believe he can do it. I just think it's kind of a, it's been a case of like, you know, the mental mental wear and tear more than anything across the season has been like, okay, I'm just going to take certain games off, right? Because I've been playing nonstop and you can't really do that as a Real Madrid center back. And yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily worried because I believe he can probably come back and raise his level and put himself into a new mindset. But if he was to give us a ton of confidence going into this one, he probably would have like not played the way he, he has in the run up to this, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of level we see from Militao because I think he's, I don't know if this is the right thing, but maybe the biggest question mark in defense in terms of what kind of performance we're going to get out of him. Whereas everyone else, I kind of feel like we, we expect, you know, what, what, what we're going to end up seeing. Yeah. I'm with you in that he looks kind of fatigued. Um, Honestly, it's a long season and it just looks like he wasn't prepared for the amount of physical and mental workload he'd have to endure throughout the season. And I do think Rudiger will help just because, you know, the whole season Militao was our main aerial threat and just having Rudiger around would be, you know, another reliable guy in the air. It just might help take some of the responsibility off him. And, you know, he's a pretty young guy. I honestly think he will snap out of it. Whether he does for the final or not, though, is a really good question. And I think um, hopefully he can just get some good rest over the next eight days and like and come to it in top physical and mental shape. Because honestly, it seems like at some point in the season, he started like dealing with the stress in a wrong way, maybe taking some games off, not like fully being able to come to games 100 percent. He looks almost burnt out. And I think he will be fine for that reason. Um and I do think, you know, the amount of time we have to the final and the way we've prepared going into the final has been really good. The minutes Carlos given everyone, Pintus, Pintus is someone I actually do want to talk about. Um, it seems like he's done a great job with the way he's like, um, you know, Pintus seems to have done a great job with the way he's distributed minutes and whatever he's doing on the training pitch seems to have worked. Like, I don't know exactly what the details are. But most of our players are entering this game in pretty good shape, as you said, with Vinicius too. So Militao, I'm hoping next season with another experienced center back in the rotation, this won't be an issue. And frankly, I've seen too much from him to think this can keep going for long. It seems like if he has a fresh slate, some time off, some time to recover his body and mind, he should be able to return to peak form. Just because I feel like we've seen him make some really world-class interventions on a pretty consistent basis in ways that just don't go away for no reason, you know? Well, you bring up kind of the Pintus and the, and the freshness thing. I think this particular team of the five that have gone to Champions League finals in recent years, maybe, maybe the 2016-2017 team when we, when we crushed Juventus in the final was parallel in terms of fresh, a freshness factor, but... I think otherwise this team's probably the like in terms of injuries, in terms of how they're looking fitness wise coming into this final, the best of any other Real Madrid team we've had in the final. Like if you think back to the decima final, Bale was hobbling in Ronaldo had his knee issue. Benzema was hurt. Pepe was hurt. 
Uh, Pepe couldn't decided ultimately not to play. Kadira was had to come in at center back after, or sorry, defensive mid after just having an ACL injury. Um, and we, we basically like hobbled into that final and, um, and that was a year under Ancelotti where he obviously didn't rotate and we just pushed it to the maximum limit. Fortunately, it, we, we talked about it at nauseum at the start of the year, like all oh, these lack of rotations going to come back to bite you. And we kind of felt the effects of it like January through March, but then um, the team gradually found their way found, like I said, Vinicius found a second win. A lot of players found a second win and that's probably a credit to Pintus. And I think that's like that's going to be a major contributor. Hopefully, will be a major contributor to to this team being able to compete, at least compete with Liverpool. And what I've liked about this team, this Real Madrid squad, particularly in the Champions League, is that they've had a chip on their shoulder, and they they don't care who they're up against. They they know everybody isn't valuing them as a favorite or isn't giving them any consideration as a potential Champions League winner, but they're not overawed by any of the opponents and they compete, they compete, they compete, and they're never out of it. And so if we can do that against Liverpool and as long as we're in, we're in that tie throughout the match, like there will always be a chance, no matter what the scoreline is, this team's shown that. And I just love that chip on the shoulder. And I think kind of coming full circle here that that freshness will be a major contributor for us. And it's fortunately we were able to rotate at the latter part of this La Liga few games here because we won it and we we didn't rotate during that crucial part of the season from what what was it like November to December October to December when we had that big bunch of games that we didn't rotate at all and we won all of them consecutively well we were worried about it but maybe it actually did pay off for Carlo and the team because now they've had all this time to to rest and do a mini preseason ahead of the final so it may have all worked out Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. And I would say every year I've been following, my first full season where I really paid close attention was Mourinho's last season. So, um, um, my bad. So, basically, every year I've been following, going back to Mourinho's last season, the team has been for sure burned out, especially if they've been competing on multiple fronts. Um, 2014, you mentioned, but 2015, Carlo didn't rotate at all. 2014, I remember he didn't find his best lineup for half the season, but they just got hurt. 2015, he invited it. 2016, I believe we had Pintus with Zidane brought him in at some point. And um, I remember that we didn't even have Benzema and Ronaldo playing in the semifinals. 2017, we reached the final in peak shape because we could literally rotate our half our team, if not two thirds of it, every week because of how deep that roster was. 2018, we reached the final in good shape because we weren't competing for the league title anymore. So this is easily the best they've looked at this point in the season. I agree. Um, And I think it's partly because you have guys like Camavinga and Valverde regularly able to come in and give minutes now. And as they all got healthy as the season went on, um, one thing is Carlo is known to actually prioritize peaking in December and peaking in May. So the fact that they're peaking now is... Part of the plan, for sure. But again, whatever Pintus has done has clearly been the key. And lastly, I agree with you about how the team never looks overawed. That's one of the main reasons I think they can win this final. Um, Militao needs to step up for sure. But the reality is the team never looks scared. And 
that just, I don't think it's possible for them to be overawed because of the situations they've seen, frankly. When you have someone like Vinicius, who is one of the best ball progressors in Europe, he has no reason to be scared of any defender. And then you have this core that's pretty much seen so many historically great teams. Of course, with that said, Liverpool is unique, even amongst the teams this, we've played. Um, they're a much stronger version of the outfit we played in the 2018 final, so it will be a good game. So maybe we move on now and, and kind of go back to one of the bigger themes of this match. It was the farewell match for two of our two of our players who really made history at this club. One in particular, Marcelo. Oh, I know he was he was close to your heart. Maybe do you want to kind of give us just some of your your parting thoughts on what may what may have been? It's not official, but most likely Marcelo's last game at, at the Santiago Bernabeu. Yeah, it will be kind of funny if like next season we sit here doing this all over again. But you know what? Like, even if he does stay on, we can do this multiple times. There's no limit on how many times we can do this because he is that kind of figure at the club. Right. And basically, you know, upon his arrival and through the end of his prime almost takes me through my entire Real Madrid fandom. Right. So he's one of those foundational figures. I first arrived like you know, kind of 0910, but really like wet my teeth in the Mourinho era. And that basically coincides perfectly with Marcelo becoming a really relevant figure on the side and kind of capturing the imagination of me and, and, and kind of like outlining what was possible as an offensive minded player, as a fullback, right? I don't know what it would have been like following another team where they just had a regular ass fullback. And that was my conception of what could be done at that time. But Marcelo very much set the mold for me. And probably to this day, to too great an extent, probably tends to divine what I expect from a fullback. But, you know, I'm, I'm cool with it because we're talking about one of the greatest players of all time. And in my opinion, the greatest left back of my lifetime who, and we'll get to, I think, the more kind of like logical discussion of what made him so great. But there's something about like him, there's like a romantic side to his play that you know mixed in with the nostalgia of the past that really like kind of brings me back to a place like I want to be right whenever I want to think about a certain time where you know quote-unquote simpler time even though it wasn't though it just was for me that's kind of that's where I want to go back to right like those younger Marcelo years because he played with the sense of joy and I think this is key he played with the sense of joy that was a necessity over a luxury, right? Because his joy led to brilliance that was so brilliant. It was like, you can't do without it, right? Like we talk about some players who are like, okay, they're effective. And then on top of that, they're, they're a feast for the eyes. It was just one in the same with Marcelo, right? His joy was his effectiveness and his effectiveness was the joy with which he played because it led to moments that were so brilliant that, it just broke games wide open for us at times, right? You can think about the run versus Bayern Munich in this in the 16-17 Champions League, but also it was like the little, littler things, right? Like when he does a roulette out of a press or plays like a crazy diagonal, you know, pass on the half volley. He started doing that a lot in like Zidane's time to break the press and play it over to the far side. You can sit back and be like, oh, that's magical, but it actually just destroyed the, the, the structure of the opposition, right? Like it was beautiful and effective at the same time. And it was only so effective because it was so flashy and it was so unpredictable. And I I think that really captures the magic of Marcelo because 
there really aren't that many players like that you can point out throughout football history where you just sit back and say like, yeah, I mean, he had to do something that nuts. Like it makes sense because he was able to pull it off and it's unique to him, the ability he had as a player, his, you know, I know we don't normally associate decision-making with Marcelo, but you kind of need to be an elite decision-maker to be able to attempt those things and be able to pull it off more times than not. Right. And I, I don't know, man. Like he's just one of those magical, magical players, right? And for me, especially as I've I've gone on to become, you know, more of a tactics guy, you know, let's strip out all of the aesthetic away when it comes to analyzing a game because I want to get to kind of like the truth of impact or what's happening on the pitch. You know, it's nice to have this guy who not only brings me back to the more romantic side, but everything he's doing is is also worthy of like, you know, picking apart and analyzing because it's contributing every single time to something real on the game. It's contributing to winning. And so that, I think that part of Marcelo really like helps me define in my mind what I think about Madrid, what, what I think Madridismo is in addition to like the sheer passion he had for the shirt, right? Just laying it all out there hard on his sleeve all the time. In addition to the fact that like, I think the flaws of him as a player, right? The drawbacks, the contradictions also kind of have, been reflective of the drawbacks and contradictions of Real Madrid over time, right? Like his having such an offensive mentality, maybe looking back at defense and being like, yeah, I have Casemiro there. He'll clean it up for me. He just feels like Real Madrid to me, you know? And I, I do think in a way it's kind of like it falls flat that like we've had so many seasons where Marcelo hasn't been relevant and it just feels like it's been so much time where it's kind of easy to forget, right? We all have short-term memory, just how amazing he was. But, you know, just sitting here and thinking back, like flashing through all of the moments that I can about his true prime at Real Madrid. So let's say like, you know, 10, 11, 11, 12 to 17, 18, man, have there been some absolutely incredible moments. And I think he's probably the player at the end of the day, you know, when I when I pack it up, I'm on my deathbed. And for whatever reason, I'm thinking about the players I identify with the most. It's, it's going to be Marcelo. If we're talking about who is legitimately the best at their position, in history out of all the Real Madrid players, you could argue Marcelo might have the best stake of anyone because at left back, I don't think anyone, even Roberto Carlos, in my opinion, doesn't come close. And just because I think his press resistance and as far as his impact goes, I think his press resistance surely in the right system where you try and like you involve the left back in build up. I think it's on par in how much he'd add over an average player with any other player like Busquets, or a Chavi, the what they added to the game from their positions, I think Marcelo brought at fullback. And I think this final, it's funny, four years later, one of the main differences between these teams is, yes, we have Vinicius to run at defenders instead of Ronaldo, but we also don't have Marcelo to totally absorb the press anymore. It's actually one of the biggest differences. And honestly, we might just see it in the final. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Matt, just jumping back in to talk about the press resistance. Like, it is amazing how there was a point in time where you just couldn't press this team, where, you know, like people like, I don't know if it was like, you know, Rene Marich, Jed Davies, or Adam Osman Basic, like they just posted a clip from, I think the Champions League final, this passing it around from the back, and then Marcelo just lobs it over to the other side of the field. And, and they were just like, you can't press this team. Like, it was we would just put together some ridiculous sequences where we would talk about Ramos. We would talk about Kroos. We would talk about Modric. We talk about Benzema, but fullbacks, we've talked about this before. Fullbacks 
determine the ceiling of your press resistance, right? Because ultimately the most open outlet is the fullback. Most teams want to guide you there. Even Liverpool who end up wanting to bait you into the center will end up having plenty of sequences where the team just passes to the fullback because they know that Liverpool wants to, wants to bait them into the center and they go and press them there. And Marcelo just made it so, so difficult for the opposition because you couldn't leave him. You couldn't give him space to do his thing. But if you pressed up to him and you were too tight, he could just start a domino effect by going by you or making a pass that would just bring the entire structure apart. And what has been a running theme ever since Marcelo declined and we couldn't play him anymore has been, you know, how much, you know, offense does, does many provide, right? Like we struggle versus the press consistently. And like a huge part of that has been losing Marcelo, right? So you, you can directly see his impact in what Sid is talking about and just looking at, okay, here was prime Marcelo. This is how we played. And then what happened after him? I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to continue, I guess. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, let me just wrap it up, I guess. But I, I think the other thing is like, weirdly enough, I think there's like a risk of not being able to fully understand how great Marcelo was because his prime comes right before we have like the FB ref era you know, and like the really detailed event data era where like the data exists, but not on publicly available platforms, right? The the last season, you know, the really detailed stuff goes back to from Marcelo is the 2017-18 season, which was the absolute final year of his prime. And honestly, probably the beginning of his decline a little bit, right? Because his dribbling numbers fall off a cliff. That's when he kind of lost his burst, even though he was still really good as a passer crosser. So like, we miss like the, you know, the brilliance of 2011, 12 to 16, 17, where he had absolutely everything, right? And we've entered an era where you have fullbacks being like the chance creation progression machines of their side, right? Like Trent Alexander-Arnold stands out and people talking about this guy who I think is insane. And I think he's he has a very strong possibility of going down as the best offensive fullback of all time. But they talk about him as if he's like completely and utterly unique. And in a sense he is to the extent to which he's become, he's shoulder shouldering a burden for a very unique Liverpool team. He is unique and he is something somewhat new, but he is not totally revolutionary and just go back. And, and this, again, this is just the final season of Marcelo's prime. Just go back and compare Progressive passes, passes into the final third, passes into the penalty area, key passes, expected assists. And you can compare it against Trent's best season to date, which is this one. And Marcelo stacks up really well, if not surpassing him in some categories, which is kind of wild because no one has ever talked about Marcelo this way. I briefly kind of always said Marcelo's passing is the most underrated attribute, but it's never been the extent to which we've seen with TAA, which is like thinking about Marcelo as a chance creation and progression machine. And he was that in his prime. And I'm willing to, you know, lay down my life savings. If we were to un- un- reveal this data going back, you know, and covering the rest of his prime, you would have a statistical profile in terms of progression and chance creation that stacks up with Alexander Arnold's career so far. Now, I think because Alexander Arnold was so young and the progression we saw with him this season, by the end of it, he's going to put together a portfolio that's it's just hard for anyone else to touch. But considering that Marcelo was never the real focus of Madrid's attack, even though there was a left-sided dominance in the way Real Madrid played, I I don't think it's so clear-cut to just say like, yeah, I mean, we've we've never seen anything like what we're seeing with TAA before. I think we, we, we actually saw it with Marcelo. And because there wasn't a way of thinking 
about fullbacks like that, we were like, okay, yeah, sure, they get forward. Sure, they cross in the box. Sure, they dribble. But in terms of their actual role as ball progressors, I think there's a risk of as we move on, we just kind of like, okay, Marcelo, we, we don't talk about Marcelo that way, which I think is a big mistake because I think basically building off what Sid was saying, I think that's the real edge he has over every other player in his position. And from what like little stats we can kind of peek at, I mean, you could even take his following seasons in terms of ball progression and they still look great, but taking the final season of his prime, they look really, really good. And I, I, he's just really like in terms of everything you could ask for, for from a fullback offensively, he could do. And I guess the final thing I'll say on this topic is the specific pass. I think he still does better than anyone else. TAA, like Danny Alves, Andrew Robertson is that diagonal pass you know, starting in the final third towards the edge of the box, which I think statistically is the most difficult pass to pull off. And in terms of the value it gives you is, you know, basically the highest risk reward pass. No one could play that pass like Marcelo. And if we're looking for a concrete moment where that helped us, if I'm remembering correctly, versus Atletico Madrid, 16-17, Champions League tie, home leg, Marcelo plays the pass that ends up like finding Benzema to set up Ronaldo for his volleyed finish. He was just a genius in every sense of the word. And he, I think, kind of bridged the gap between what was the old style offensive fullback to the modern one. And I don't know if he's going to get enough credit for that. All right. I, that's 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 done. Mark, Matt is allowed to talk now. All right. Uh, well, no, as you guys were talking, like the flashbulb memories were going off. And uh, honestly, I love just hearing you wax lyricals about Marcelo because I feel like the essence of who he was as a player and kind of like you mentioned the short-term memory loss. Like, I feel like that's maybe been lost a little bit over the last few seasons. And he's kind of turned into like this scapegoat and kind of this meme at times. And so I'm just, I'm happy to relive those, those memories and to hear you talk about him in the way that he deserves to be talked about. Because for me, he was one of the most unique football, arguably the most unique footballer, in all of history and there won't be another Marcelo. He was, he was one of a kind. And just when I think of Marcelo as at his peak, I think of a player that was just so natural, so fluid in everything that he did. And you talked about his decision-making and like some of the passes he could pull off to, to be depressed and only like it was things any of us or even most professionals could only dream about doing, but he pulled it off with such ease and like just nonchalant. And it was just so natural and I just remember so many games, especially in the Champions League and big games where he would do some ridiculous skill, some like back heel, Cruyff, turn, Maradona, whatever it is. And you just kind of blow your cheeks out and like, how do you do that? How, how's he doing that? And that, that is what I think of when I think of Marcelo and just what he brought to this team and, and the passion he, he had for Real Madrid. He felt these club colors. He, he fought for the badge. Like he is a symbol of Real Madrid and will forever be linked with this club. And I'm sure he'll take different roles inside the club in in future years. And I think, I mean, he's a guy we all absolutely adore because he was never one. We never had contract drama with Marcelo. We never had any issues. He never wanted to leave. And he became like you guys mentioned, one of the best ever in his positions. And so to see a kid from come at 18 years old, 
he had he just wanted to rush to sign that contract. He didn't know it. He thought it was all fake. He didn't think it was real. So he wanted to rush to sign that contract so Real Madrid wouldn't change their mind to becoming the one of the greatest players ever in the club's history, winning the most titles in the club's history, the first foreign captain. I mean, just just incredible. The list goes on and on. And so um, I'm totally happy with this podcast rather, rather than being about Real Betis, just turning into a Marcelo tribute. But I think we only have like five minutes left. So I want, I do want, maybe we give kind of a tribute to Isco as well. I think his career at Real Madrid, obviously not, not quite to the level of Marcelo, but I think he deserves kind of a shout out and deserves um, some, some words from us on this podcast. So maybe Sid, you can start us off there. Yeah. Um, Isco, another one that compared to the last final, we might end up missing him a little bit um, just because his press resistance is, was so good in his prime. Um, you know, Marcelo and Isco talking about them definitely throws me back to the 2016-17 team and how there was a period when, as Mahom said, you could not press us. And that was honestly my favorite time to be a Real Madrid fan to this date, except for parts of this season, which have just been absolutely wacky. But um, yeah, that season, man, we just were unbelievable on the ball. Like that was, the, I believe the only team to exceed that is the peak Barcelona teams because I love Man City and I think they did exceed it against smaller teams. But I think when you include what happened on the European stage, I believe only 2011 Barcelona could play better pure possession football than that team that played with Isco at the tip of the diamond with Cruz, Modric, Casemiro. And on the left axis, you had Isco, Marcelo, Cruz, Benzema combining while Ronaldo would make runs into the box. And man, I love that team. And Isco was a big part of that team because Bale was not always giving us what we needed because he was so hurt so often. And, you know, Isco, the second half of 2016-17, I think it's a shame that we didn't have a coaching and club structure that allowed him to build on those performances because we were so player-centric. Yeah, I think Isco is is an interesting case because you're talking about how, like, Marcelo's style and substance was one, whereas with Isco, it was a little bit more of a trade-off, and I think that 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 contrast shows you just one how brilliant you know Marcelo is, but also you know I, I think kind of tells the story of Isco's career career a little bit because from day one almost it was a question of you know can he adapt to what Real Madrid needs right we have this player who coming from Malaga is is this left sided playmaker right who didn't really have to be like a proper number ten in terms of how he had to position himself like this very strict positioning between the lines. I mean, to really think about his off-ball role and how he was making impact there and, and really more be like, yeah, he will affect central areas, but more about floating towards the ball, picking it up, looking forward, and then making things happen through his passing, playmaking, or really his dribbling, which is what got me really, really excited about when we signed him. Like, till date, there hasn't been a player going back to that period in time that I've been that excited about signing. Like, I just remember, like, running around my room screaming, Isco, Isco, because... I just paid attention to his season up until that point. He was just one of those players who captured my imagination at the time. And throughout his rounder career was basically, you know, will Isco's just natural brilliance end up benefiting Real Madrid? Or in this moment, will it end up kind of hindering us at certain points in time? And I think that whole discussion kind of took things to to extremes, right? Like Isco, this idea that we couldn't counterattack with Isco on the ball, which made no sense. But yeah, I mean, there were certain moments where 
we, it, it was kind of a question like, well, should we play Isco? How much is it worth it? And it kind of starts off with Carlo trying to adjust him to a midfield role, right? You know, he, he was like, Car- with Bale coming in, Carlo has to be a left, I mean, Isco has to be a left central midfielder, although it would have been interesting to see Carlo play as a left central midfielder in that team. Um, and it kind of evolved from then on to where I don't think it's a coincidence that he ends up peaking under Zidane, where Zidane just kind of gives him the role that's best for him, right? Where he's not really playing as number 10. He's just playing as a free roaming playmaker who can kind of do whatever he wants. And yeah, I mean, I, I, we're, we're running out of time, I guess. Um, but I, I, I think you just go back to those moments in time where there was that balance between Isco get what gets what he wants and it benefits the team. And we had a truly extraordinary player. And I think it's sad that that couldn't last, but when it did, it was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, Isco, Isco was kind of similar to Marcel in that I felt like he was a really natural player and just unique, a street footballer. And I remember even the few times I, I saw him live, I was just always kind of taken away by how, how comfortable he was on the ball. Like he's, just his technical ability was second to none, maybe second only to Marcelo, but anybody else second to none. Um, so maybe he didn't reach quite the heights that we thought he would, especially after that 2017 season, but he was an incredible footballer for Madrid. He won a ton of titles and he will for long be remembered at this club. And uh, we're, we're about to, to run out of time here. So I want to sign off. I want to thank Sid and Ohm for, for joining. And uh, I think, I think this is a good podcast. I'm glad we got to to kind of say our final tributes to uh, Marcelo in particular, and uh, I'm sure we'll do one more podcast on him when when the day officially comes. But guys, I appreciate you hopping on, and listeners, thanks for thanks for listening. Al Madrid, we can say that Keon's not on. <laughs>